0: Merriam-Webster defines the word remember as to have or to keep an image or an idea in your mind of something or someone from the past, to think of something or someone from the past again, to cause something to come back into your mind or to keep information in your mind to not forget something. I mean, if I were to ask you what's the definition of remember, you'd come up with that, right? pretty much. It's like to bring back. It's for, as an example of remember is um, you can't remember that um, the Ducks are going to beat the Beavers in the Civil War game in 2018. You can't remember that because it hasn't happened, right? That's a future. Notice how I subtly tuck that in. It always comes back to sports, doesn't it? Yep. Thank you. This guy's going to be good in the front row right here. See, and the thing that these guys in the front apparently don't know is I spit when I talk, so you're in trouble now. (laughs) See, we'll bring that wall back over. So as you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 and 4 today, we're going to talk about um, remembrance, memory, remembering things. As a matter of fact, um, there's a... uh, psychologist at Northwestern uh, University that was asked, what is the memory capacity of the human brain? Is there a physical limit to the amount of information I can store? I remember hanging on a bulletin board in my house while I was going through my graduate program that there was a um, Larson you know, Farside cartoon there where the this this student is raising his hand and say, teacher, can, can I go home now? My brain is full. And what the psychologist is saying here is that there's no way your brain can be too full. Now, I know I thought I had exceeded capacity, and that memory was dripping out my ears because uh, I thought I, or just things I couldn't remember anymore. But here's what he says. The human brain consists of about one billion neurons. Each neuron forms about 1,000 connections to other neurons, amounting to more than a trillion connections. If each neuron could only help store a single memory, running out of space would be a problem. You might have to have uh, only a few gigabytes of storage space, similar to the space in an iPod or a flash drive. Yet neurons combine so that each one helps with many memories at a time, exponentially increasing the brain's memory storage capacity to something closer to around, here's a word I'd never heard of, 2.5 petabytes. Anybody ever hear that? It's like, well, it's, uh, to help you understand, it's a million gigabytes. (coughs) Does that make it better? For comparison, if your brain worked like a DVR, digital video recorder, in a television, 2.5 petabytes would be enough to hold 3 million hours of TV shows. I think I'm about 299 million, so I'm almost there. (laughs) Only kidding, I don't watch that much TV. You would have to leave the TV running continuously for more than 300 years to use up all that storage. So when you come to me and say, oh, I forgot, say, what would you do with those petabytes you had? You know, it's like the brain's exact storage capacity for memories is difficult to calculate. First, we do not know how to measure the size of a memory. Second, certain memories involve more details and thus take up more space. That makes sense. Other memories are forgotten and thus free up space, and that's where I am. Um, additionally, some information is just not worth remembering in the first place. So you can see there's categories. It's like, I don't remember that because it wasn't worth remembering to begin with. Men, your wife's birthday is one of those that is worth remembering, okay? There are certain things you forget. But he concludes this. He says, This is good news because our brain can keep up as we seek new experiences over our lifetime. If the human lifespan were significantly extended, could we fill our brains? He says, I'm not sure. Ask me again in 100 years. <laughs> so the idea is, you know, we often blame our brain. Oh, you know, I can't remember. And to me, it's not so much uh, a memory issue, it's a recall issue. I know it's in there. It's just I don't know how to get to it sometimes. And the whole thing about this morning's message has to do with Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. We're going to cover both of those chapters today. I told John we'd have you out easy by 3, so we're going to do fine, okay? Just hang in there with me. And the idea is, is that we are at the River Jordan and there are some things that we need to see, and I'm going to say both geographically and just something that helps us to understand where we are in this um, scenario. And if my handy-dandy little pointer, so you can see the pointer, right? <coughs> <laughs> see you guys jumping just like a cat. You know. Okay. We need to understand that when we are at uh, Beth Barra, Bethbara is the name of the place along the Jordan River, where the children of Israel have been. <laughs> I, I I hear you breathing, so you're still there. It's interesting that to to know the geography of the area, uh, Bethbara means the house of crossing or the house of the passage. And this is where they're staged at the moment in Joshua three and four. They've been out in the desert for some. 40 years, as we know. Technically, it was 37. Especially, uh, uh, they had housed themselves mostly in this one area called Shittim. And uh, that's where a lot of acacia groves are, the trees that, they, um, that are known as acacia wood. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating, because here as, whoops, sorry. the <laughs> uh, yeah, wrong button. There we go. Um, that's the button. All right, so the Mediterranean Sea come across the coast. And whenever they hear, you, you read in the Bible, it says, hey, let's go up to Jerusalem. Let's go up to Jerusalem. It's always, you know, one of those fancy things. Because when you go to Jerusalem, you go 3,000 feet up. So, indeed, you do go up to Jerusalem. But the interesting thing is, if you've ever been to Israel, and you take the bus ride down, <laughs> it's like, well, no, actually, it's a windy road. And you do get down there safely. But you notice one thing. You get to a point where there's a sign on the road that says sea level. It's like if this mountain range was in here, the Mediterranean would fill this. It's called the Rift Valley. It's long. I'll show you a map here in a moment. But here we are at sea level. But when you go down to the Sea of Galilee, it looks like it, when you see pictures of it, it almost looks like it's at sea level, but really it's 700 feet below sea level. So when you get even further to the Dead Sea, um, that's 1,400 feet below sea level. So look at deepest uh, spot on Earth where humans walk. So you can see here, here's a map of the, um, the two different plates that are coming along. Here's the uh, Asian plate, uh, the Eastern plate. I can't remember what that's called, but anyway, uh, this huge rift valley. If you follow it on a geographic map, it goes all the way through to the southern tip of Africa. So it's a big plate um, uh, earthquake where two continents are pushing up against each other. I've got a green light. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem, and it's been fixed. So back onto the moon. So as you can see, this is kind of a cool. I like this. It's a cross cut, a cross section to show you the elevation of uh, of how that geography breaks up. Again, here's something that you can go look up online and take up too much time here. But now this one's hard to see. I know, but you can. They're going to post this. But it's pointing out where we are right now in Joshua 3 and 4. Here's where we are at Abel Shittim. They're about ready to cross over to Jericho. And this little map kind of shows you how uh, the children of Israel and Joshua, led by General Joshua, are taking the land that God has promised them. Uh, again, this is a, it's kind of hard to see. I'm sorry, but on my computer it looked great. Um, here it's not. But you can see they're right across. Here's Jericho going up to Gilgal. When they cross over, they go to Gilgal, come back uh, to Jericho, and then AI, and oh, oh, here they go. That's called the Arabian tectonic plate and the African tectonic plate, the two that are pushing together. So you get geography, you get all sorts of things all in one day. And so here we are. And that's just the setup of where we are. You can remove that if you want. Um, Joshua chapter three the children of israel like i say have traveled for you know as they say roughly 40 years in the desert and this chapter represents or presents if you will the dynamic truth that the hope of the future is based on the memories of the past and that hope gives meaning to the present stick with me on that because it's the memories of what god has done for them that needs to be present in their minds, which is what gives them hope for the future. And that works for you and I, you know. Have you ever had an experience where God has done something in your life that you say, yes, I know that was the hand of God. And, and then go through another trial and forget that God had taken care of you at another time until some way, somehow he reminds you and you say, hey, wait a minute. God has been in my life before. He hasn't left me. And so here we're learning that lesson with these folks. One of the things I would love to do is to lead an archaeological dig, if you will, to that side of the Jordan because we know that several million people who did not have faith that the children of Israel could go into the land, the promised land, and take those people. Remember, 12 spies came in. Twelve came out. Two said, we can take them. Ten said, fat chance. They're big. They're giants. We'll never get them. You know, and they're crying whining. And God says, okay, because of your lack of faith, the land that I promised to you, this is for you to just go in for the taking, it's a gift. You know, a gift. A gift is given, but it needs to be taken. And God says, here's the gift of the land, and they didn't take it. And he says, for the lack of faith, then you guys are going to die out here in the desert, that generation. So I'm thinking, how in the world could there be several million bodies of bones out there and nobody's found them yet? Wouldn't that be kind of a cool archaeological, that word? Yeah, thanks, Chuck, what he said. To go over there and discover that there's this huge graveyard of all these millions of bones, would that be cool or what? But that's just a side thought. The idea is, is now here they are, perched right on that very spot. That older generation has died off. The newer generation has grown up, and they are now prepared to go in and take the land. They have the faith. They have the hope. They've sent a couple spies back in again. They've come back saying, we can do this. It's strategically all set up. We've done the recon. Joshua says, OK, tomorrow we're going in. And so we picked that up. After we've seen things like the parting of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army swallowed up in, those, in that sea. Um, They've seen water come from rocks. They've, they've been fed daily by God, and yet at, a, at this particular point in time, now they recognize that God is who he is and the power that he has, and now it's time for them to claim the promise. And so they draw near to a place called Beth Bara, the house of crossing. Side note, where do we see Beth Bara again? Anybody know? You will know. There's a point in the New Testament in John we find a fellow named John the Baptist is standing in a river baptizing people, right? It's always John the Baptist. And Jesus comes along and they he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Guess where that is? Huh, you guys are so good. You picked up on that. He's back baptizing at the place that is the The point of crossing where Joshua and everybody went across. But why do you think that is? That he winds up at the same spot? Okay, you may not have the answer, but you will when you're done today. Is that okay? Is that a deal? All right, Beth Barah. Don't forget that. All right, bet you thought we'd never get to the Bible. Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the acacia grove and they came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after, interestingly enough, I added that word, interestingly enough, three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Okay, so it's, here's the command. When you see the priests and Levites pick up the Ark and starting to go forward, Then follow after it. Now there's a certain distance, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Don't come near it, uh, but you may know the way by which you must go, uh, because you've never passed this way before. So follow the ark. It's leading you. So Joshua said to the people, now sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, all right, take up the ark of the covenant, cross over before the people. So that uh, they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went ahead of the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So he's also telling him now that he's going to give him a credibility of his authority. You are now the one in charge of, being, of taking the, these Uh, next generation, into the promised land. And as a result, you're going to have this credibility that the people will see you are the anointed leader. So, verse 9. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you. Get a load of this. Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, or or, or bed, bed, bedabites, or whatever they are. <laughs> and Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Interestingly enough, if you're into this kind of stuff, that happens to be seven tribes. I don't know if there's something significant, but there's seven, right? Behold, the ark of the, uh, behold the, ark of the covenant of the Lord, verse 11, of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass that as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, that's an interesting phrase. Try and trace that down through the Bible. See how many times that comes up. Interesting. Um, the Lord of all the earth shall rest, uh, Oops, where am I? The priest bear the ark of the Lord of all, yep, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that came down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. So you see the scene Now they're starting to get up. The Ark is moving across. There's this quarter of a mile basic distance uh, separation between them. Um, And those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water. Now, interesting parenthetical phrase, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So we're being told what the time, or the season is, it's harvest time. Heavy rains, heavy mountain snow, apparently, coming down from that one. Oh, that's cool, I didn't see that. Um, is it because we don't have our own Bibles? It just faked me out. So over here where that mountain was, we find that the Rift Valley is such that it is, so, it is so steep that when the waters come down, they don't just sort of flood the plain, they fill up. So this is one of those things where the, where the river itself is overflowing its bank to the point that it's, it's not just flooding the whole land like it does on the, on the Nile Delta. This is really going up. So that means the waters are coming in a very much higher uh, volume uh, and it makes that crossing deeper. Have any of you ever been down to mm, the Mackenzie River? Uh, how about the umqua? Have you ever been like in though in, in those rivers and walked around and stuff? What are the bottoms of those rivers like? No. Say it again. Absolutely. Matter of fact, in, when the water if it were to when it, in the summertime when it lowers um, you discover that both the Umqua and the Mackenzie are just almost pure rock. looks like a cobblestone street. So when we see here that the, the water is going to get cut off here in just a moment, they didn't pay their water bill. <laughs> I added that. Extra biblical. And that's free if you want. Um, th- that it says that they're going to walk across on dry land, and instantly we think of a desert. Uh, but that's not necessarily so, because if you cut off the water of the Mackenzie or the Umpqua, you discover you can walk across stones much like you see on those chairs next to you. So while it may not be dry dirt, it's not um, puddles and stuff, maybe an occasional puddle, but the idea was they didn't have to ford a raging river. They could walk across the rocks. So here's where we are, um, and that was verse 15. Verse 16, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, And rose in a heap, well, sorry, very far away in a town called Adam or Adam. Um, I don't know how you can pile water in a heap. I I don't know. Uh, All I know is is that it has been blocked. In 1932 and again in 1947, archaeologists, I did the word right, Chuck, have gone back there to say, all right. What could possibly a natural cause be to this? And indeed, they discovered that because this is the Rift Valley, Rift Valley is where two continents meet. There's a lot of scraping and grinding and stuff in there. Potentially, could that have been an earthquake that rerouted the river for a moment? Or um, could it have been um, mud silt of some sort that filled in? And so they went back and they looked, and both in 30 37, 32 and 47. uh, And I know you're going to hold me to that uh, exact date, so I better get them right. Um, They both different teams discovered that the water, indeed, the Jordan River can get plugged up. And they found it has happened in history a few times, which kind of leans to uh, and and lends credence to the fact that, indeed, what happened? Because they found out that there was um, a water a blockage that was created by a landslide at one time which could have been created by an earthquake so in the past it had happened is that what happened in this situation you can say odds are maybe so we don't know but the point is God's timing is such that he says okay it's about ready to go across now because I'm going to have two big land masses move we're going to have a big earthquake go now Uh, and blocks up the river and the hand of God at work you with me so, because so many people want to know, how could this possibly happen? Well, there's a good example how. Um, so, what happened, the blockage was a far away up, um, it's about 15, 20 miles in verse 16, the city that is beside Zaratan. So, the waters that went down into the sea of, of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed. In other words, they didn't flow any longer. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the, peace, the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. In the King James ver, uh, Version, it says that they had finished over the other uh, side. And you say, well, that's interesting, but I don't care. What does that mean to me? But when you discover that there is a model that's being developed here, if you want to get sort of into the mystical side here, because you're going to discover in chapter in the next chapter here for, that we're going to put up a memorial here, and uh, that they are to be in remembrance of what God had done that day for the crossing. And there's almost, if you want to dig into it and trace it down, um, because the word remember occurs 160 times in the Bible. And that's just the word remember. It could be remembrance, uh, memory, those kinds of things uh, that add to it. But we've discovered that a potential model is developing here that has to do with death, burial, and resurrection. And you'll see by the time we're done here. And it's also interesting, this is where John the Baptist is baptizing people. There's so many things being tied to this. It's more than just people crossing over from one side to the other. You get it? So let's roll into chapter 4 very quickly. Well, it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, finished, what does Jesus say? What are his last words on the cross? Um, um, So we're going to start putting some of these little clues together. I'll let you tie them together. But when these people were finished, crossing over, to the promised land, um, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the uh, people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you're going to lodge tonight, which is going to be in Gilgal. And Joshua called, in verse 4, called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan. Notice, don't just take a rock from the edge, on this edge or that edge. Go down to the depth of where the bottom would be and grab these stones and actually put them on your shoulders. That's how big they are. Um, cross over verse 5. So he says, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. So then one little pebble, something that you put on your shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. So it'd be 12. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? So we're going to see that Joshua is going to be instructed to put all 12 of those stones in a mound in Gilgal. And actually it follows with them a a while. But watch what else Joshua does at this point. So he wants them there so that when your children come to you and say, what do these mean? You say, ah, this is in remembrance of the fact of what God did for us to cross. Verse 7, then you shall answer them that the waters of of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan, The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded. And they took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where uh, they lodged, and they laid them down there. Look at verse 9. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. At least as of the day of the writing. Now, I would just love to go back there and block up to Jordan again and see this little mound sitting there. You know, but Odds are they're not there anymore. But here is, there are two monuments being erected at this point. One is in the middle of the river and the other one is up on the banks. Up on the banks, he says, the instruction is is that when you see that, remember <laughs> remember when we used to tie strings around our finger to remind us of something? I had to do two or three strings, because this string reminded me of that string, which reminded me of that, which I forgot. So the idea of when you see these mounds of stones and, the, and your six-year-old would come up and say, well, what's that all about? Well, this, Junior, is where... God told us to, to cross over to the promised land, and He'd block up the river, and He you then tell the history, so because we are so quick to forget, we we think there's so many things that are important. A couple of years ago, there was a Super Bowl. Who played in it? Well, I don't know, but it sure was important then, wasn't it? I mean, we had dips and jib and big party, and everybody came over, and we watched these guys play football. Two or three years later, we can't even remember who it was. And it's just that's the way life is. I mean, if we stirred our memory enough, we probably could remember it was probably New England. You know, somebody else. (laughs) I'll guarantee you my memory tells me it was two football teams. (laughs) And would I be wrong? Excellent memory, right? So, I mean, look how quick we forget things. Even at the moment, they were so important to us at the time. And so this, imagine this. Here's a movement, a handly work of God himself plugging up the river. Had he ever done anything like that before? (laughs) Yeah, he's done this before. This is an old trick. (laughs) But they had forgotten, they even had no faith, that when he plugged up the Red Sea. Now, I know some people say, no, no, no. It's supposed to be the Reed Sea. All right, go with that, the Reed Sea, strong eastern wind blew. Here's all these uh, Israelites trying to get away from Pharaoh, right? His army's pursuing them, and this strong wind from the east blows up along the the Reed Sea, which is a couple inches deep, blows the water back, and they all come across, and then when the wind stops, the water comes back. Now, that is a theory. It's a working theory. But here's the problem I have with that. You're telling me that three inches of water drowned an entire pharaoh's army? It can't be. It, it can't be the Reed Sea. Because then those are, those are pretty dumb army guys. <laughs> I was Navy, so I can say that. <laughs> so bottom line is, is, here it is. 37, 39 years earlier, they saw God with Moses, open the Red Sea, and they, and they walk across, and when it closes, it, it, it drowns the entire Egyptian army, chariots and all. So they've seen this before, but for some odd reason, that didn't work for them. They had no faith, and they had to pay the penalty for the lack of faith in that 39 more years out in the desert. So once again, God does this miraculous thing and Joshua says I'm going to put two monuments one that goes with us to in our camps so the people can see and when the children ask questions they have answers. The second one I'm going down into the into the riverbed and I'm putting this one up. Now here's the speculation on that that uh, granted this was at high time it was harvest time so it was flooding. More than likely, and this is being speculative, that actual monument in the middle of the river wasn't visible at that time because the waters came back and overflowed it. But what was being thought ahead of by Joshua was when the waters receded and got back to a normal level, there would be this little peak of rocks sticking out of the top of the, of the water as a memorial saying, here's where we crossed, Beth Barah, the house of crossing. I thought that's pretty cool. That's because we can't remember anything. But we can be triggered when we see something that triggers that memory. Oh, yes, I remember this. And that's how we are in human nature. So we pick up again in verse 10. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. There's that word finished. That the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed. Yeah, I'd hurry too. I don't want to be there when the waters come back again. Get over. And again, we're talking about potential millions, Um, certainly an awful lot. Um, When they completely, uh, verse 11, then it came to pass when all the people completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over. There's another little side story there. You have to read about the uh, deal that Moses had made with these two and a half tribes, that they wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan and make their homes there. Moses says, that'd be fine. You can go back over there and set up camp, but those who are able to fight and go to war are coming with us because we have the land to take. I need your soldiers. And when we're done taking the promised land, then you can go back and restore homes. That's what that's all about. So in verse 13, about 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses. They weren't fear like afraid of him, but they respected him now. He was the leader that God was, was guiding, leading. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who, who have the ark, <laughs> by the way, these poor priests, They've been standing in the middle of the river here for waiting for millions of people to cross over. When are they gonna be done? This is getting heavy. And they're standing there. As long as they're there, the water's not flowing. But could you imagine? It's like, I oh, shouldn't have had that extra coffee. <laughs> I mean, who knows? What were the, You know, we just read this so glibly. You know, oh, they've been standing there for who knows how long hours, getting these people and oxen and livestocks and carts. And all of a sudden, the cart wheel breaks down. Oh, no! I don't want that. Now, finally, Joshua says, all right, tell the priests to come up out of the river. um, And boy, watch what happens. So in verse 15, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony, come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded them, saying, Come out of the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now, verse 19, the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. To you, when you read verse 19, what does that mean to you? Say again? Yeah. The first month, the 10th day of the first month, what happens? on the 10th day of the first month in Jerusalem. Hmm. Some years fast forward. We've talked about that. We even did a regular presentation here on the Signet series about... <laughs> and so I'm going to build stones of remembrance. <laughs> you should know this. What happens on the 10th of Nisan? Thank you. But what happens on that day? There's something that we just celebrated two Sundays ago. Last? No? Oh, man, you guys are getting so close. Two Sundays ago. Palm Sunday. What was that? What we call the triumphal entry, right? That day before that was the 10th of Nisan. So isn't it interesting, you know, of course it's tying in with Passover, but there's another connection here with the fact that the 10th of Nisan is the beginning of Passover, which is the day that Jesus rode uh, uh, into Jerusalem on that triumphal entry. And it's going to be a few days later that he rises from the dead, right? So the people came up, verse 19, from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you're going to let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Notice he re. Refers to that he's done this before and then he dried up before us until we had crossed over that all the people of the earth may know that um, know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever and it turns out that it is a short time later that they actually rise up from that part of where they've camped to go on in and take the land so want I want you to think about something this is the year 2018, right? Some of you agreed. It is funny. Oh, thank you. We have confirmation in the front room. If you subtract 40 years from that, it's 1978. What were you doing in 1978? We See? Some of you weren't born. Which leads to the fact that you would be somebody that I'd have to say And I'd have to tell you, when you ask me, what are all these stones about? Well, 40 years ago, 1978, God separated the Red Sea. See, all that is for us to have perspective. We saw, you know, we can read in a a chapter and see 40 years go by. But in our own lives, look look back what 40 years was. I wasn't alive. (laughs) Kidding. just to give you perspective of time span, those folks have spent that much time from 78 till now out in the desert and are just now crossing over. Um, I think that's interesting because for us, we just read that and go home and instead of putting it into a perspective that we could actually understand. So once on the other side, a potential battle is brewing as you continue to read through this and do your own homework. So here the children of Israel, they're perched on the threshold of a whole new era, anointed by God, foreordained by God, directed by God, and yet somehow, some way, despite the awesome display of God's power and his sovereignty, these folks, subject to their natures, they, who have the nature to forget that it ever happened. You and I would say, well, if I saw the river parted like that and I walked across on dry ground, or if I saw the Red Sea part and stuff, I'd never forget that, right? I'd never forget the powerful hand of God and all that. I challenge you that over a course of time you would. Why? Because for some odd reason we're built that way. Even though the neurons and the petabytes that we have in our head, which I'm going to have to go see a doctor about, I've got petabytes. There's a ointment for that or something, I don't know. <laughs> um or worse yet the children weren't going to know what had happened that miraculous work of god observed by the people firsthand not necessarily observed by the kids and now the kids are going to come along and say what is what are all these memorials about you know memorials are interesting coming up next month is on may 31st is <laughs> Interesting how that word just fit right in. It was like, way to go, Mark. But Thanksgiving is what? It's a memorial, is it not? Look at how many holidays we have that are sort of memorials um, to help us to remember a significant event that's occurred in mankind's history, in, in humankind. We need those kinds of remembrances, things that help us. When I first moved to Portland from Eugene, it was totally, um, I don't know, if I put it this way, I don't, want, I don't mean it to say it was a step of faith in that. Isn't Mark wonderful? It was a step of faith saying, I don't really know why I'm moving here. I don't know. I just know I'm doing it. I just know it's an Abraham thing. I'm, I'm getting up, I'm picking up my tent stakes, and I'm moving to Portland, and I'm not quite sure why, but I know I'm doing it. And on my balcony of the little condo that I was renting, I had brought these stones. They're river rock, much like what you have seated next to you. I had them on my balcony. And every time I looked out on the balcony, I would remind me, you came here for a reason. Hang in there. God's going to reveal it to you. Because those were my stones of remembrance, something that would help me to remember that God was doing a work. And so. Often we are in the position that we forget that God has done such wonderful things in our lives. And you may say, we haven't done anything yet. Well, the fact that you breathe right now (laughs) is something he's done that we need to give thanks for. That we need to remember that we are here for a mission. Remember in Matthew, we read about the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, now go out and blah, 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 blah. And I like to hyphenate that word, co-hyphen mission, because we're on a co-mission. It's not just his mission. It's our mission. We've talked about this before. There's going to be a point in time in which I have to account for the 937 years that I've been on this planet, because I look like it right now, that I have to say, all right, when Jesus says, what did you do with the life I gave you? oh, well, I certainly spent a lot of time on you know, making sure that I was taken care of financially. I had a house. I had a car. You know, I had gas in the tank, blah, 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 blah. Well, what did you do about the kingdom's sake? Well, after the kids were grown. No, no, no. What did you do with your life? Because this is all you have on this earth. And there's nothing in this earth that we're taking with us except our salvation. You with me? I've heard Billy Graham say he's done a number of funerals, but he's never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul because nobody has taken anything with us except we are going to the treasure that we have sent ahead of us. And that's where we are now. We're in a point of life in which we are building our treasure in heaven because it's not on earth. And we need to remember that, that this is not... What life is all about. Oh, you know, there's the people that don't believe in God and they go, oh, this is it. Live hard and party hard or whatever it is, you know, because this is is all there is. Um, But you and I know different. And so I want to make sure that we recognize that we have this accountability, this age of accountability that we live in now to account for the years that God has given us and that extra breath that he's given us because he wants us to accomplish and be about his work. Right? Is there anything else he wants us to be doing other than his work? No is right answer. <laughs> you got it. I didn't mean to stun you, but no, that's, that's, that's exactly right. It is, it's good to memorialize the great acts of the Lord, provided that the memorials don't become idols. Because we see things that man has done to create memorials, but they've now become idolized. Also, now the last, the final thought. So you think maybe I'm harping on a on an area of our human abilities to remember our memory, and some of it can be humorous. You know about how we forget certain things. Um, it made me mad yesterday because I was working on the. M- on this thing about remembrance and memorial and stuff, and I got up and I walked over to this other room because this is, I, I needed something from this room. I went, I'm swear it was only twelve feet and I forgot in that twelve feet. So I backtracked. Oh, and then I remembered what I was going there. Jeez. Oh, so there's this. I mean, it's a human nature thing. We forget things, but there are particularly memorial things that God has done in humans' sphere. That cannot and should not be forgotten. And those are times when God has actually done a work on our heart and in our lives. But here, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Judas was sent out, Satan, the devil, had entered his heart, and he went out to betray. Us. I says, "I know where Jesus is going to be. What does Jesus do at that moment? He's gathered there with his staff. They're at the table, they're having dinner. What does he do as his final act? Oh, thank you so much, Chuck. So he takes the bread, right? And he breaks it. And he starts to pass it around. And he says, this is my body, broken for you. Take, partake of it. And, of course, he does with the wine thing, too. And then he says, Chuck's famous words, do this in... So even Jesus knows we're going to forget the work that he did on the cross. Why? Because the key thing is to distract you. And so because we're so easily distracted, you know, the old thing. And so I was talking to Chuck, oh, look, a squirrel. You know, it's like we can do that and forget. And we can recognize um, that Jesus died on the cross. We celebrated that last week. We should celebrate it every week. And Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me because you're going to forget. And so, all of this to say that if you are anywhere near a rock on a chair seated next to you, I would like for 12 of you to bring those rocks forward. Go ahead. You got one? I want you to pile it right there. Perfect. All right, there's three. No, there's three. Four. There we go. Thank you, Terry. Beautiful. It's looking good. It's becoming a a memorial. Thank you. I, I lost track. Is <laughs> there any more out there? Ah, a missing stone. There's one that didn't get thrown at me. Perfect. Here comes the 12th. Just yeah, perfect. Now, notice they didn't have to mount it on their shoulders. They didn't have to carry it up here like the priests uh, or the yeah the priests. So if, go ahead and stand up and take a look. It's not very big. It's because we didn't bring big rocks. I couldn't carry them all in. <laughs> this is a mini version. What does this mean to you? Go ahead. This is interaction time. We're going to start over. She said we're going to remember that Mark brought rocks. I have failed. Yeah, exactly. I would suggest that if you find yourself forgetting some of the works, some of the things that God has done in your life, maybe it's time to build a little small one of these in your yard, in your balcony, in your office, even if it just pebbles, whatever it is that helps you, because I find the string on the finger doesn't work, but that does, because that's very biblical. That's exactly what God told Joshua to do, and Joshua built two of those. Why? For the expressed idea of remembering what God has done in our lives. And if you can't think of anything he's done, like I said, just take a next breath and say, God allowed you to do that. Hasn't God done a wonderful thing? Build a monument. But you don't come to to memorialize the memorial. This is only to remind your own brain of what God has done. So the question is, do you believe that you believe what you believe? Work on that. Some of you just said, huh? Do you believe that you believe what you believe? Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for visualization of things to help us to uh, remember your word, the things you've taught us in your word. As we think of even the geography of, of Israel and that rift valley between Israel and Jordan and, and where these, these people wound up ready to cross Beth Bethbara, All that, Lord, just so... It's so cool and ties together so well. It helps us to remember. But, Lord, we know, we know, we know that no matter how many petabytes we have in our heads, there are times when we just can't recall things. So, Lord, we, we just build little memorials like this to remind us of you and your work in our lives. And, and we hope and trust, Lord, the work that you're doing on this earth and in our nation. Oh, Lord, we just lift up our sad nation to you who is turning their back on you and perhaps that's why we're living in the times of the signs we were told this was going to happen and when we see these signs whether it's the stones that are stacked or or events happening lord recall to our memory the words you told us that you saw this happening and that would we would be about your business and we just want to recommit ourselves to you this morning lord and father each and every one of us individually praying unto you right now, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and give us our commission, the assignment that you have for us for the amount of time that we have left, whether you're taking us tomorrow or in in an umpty-ump amount of years from now, or if you're returning tomorrow, that we would be found being about your business. We just want to commit ourselves to you in that, and all of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I have three final questions for you. I guess sort of in a generic sense, has God done things in your life worth passing down to others as a testimony? If so, write it down. Pass it on to family members. I, um, thank you. Um, that's what I did in that book that some of you looked at, purchased and hopefully read. Um, I was asked when I wrote that book, they said, why'd you write this? I said, I told the publisher. And I said, I wrote this because I want to know that one of these days when God calls me home, somebody can go to Goodwill and for 25 cents buy that book and have their lives profoundly. But ministry can continue even though I'm gone. So here's three questions. What is God doing in your life that is worth memorializing? Give that some thought. Talk about it at lunch today or whatever. What reminders or mementos are you leaving to your children concerning God's work on your behalf? You may say, Well, my children are gone out of the house. Well, so what? Tell them anyway. Say, Look, I've got to tell you this is what God has done in my life. You need to know this, whether it doesn't matter where they are in their walk. You know, photos, um, letters pieces of art or something, something that meant something to you and your walk with the Lord to so that when they ask you, what's this painting all about, like those stones, you can tell them. It's that trigger. Finally, what do your neighbors know about your God-based um, memorials, the things that he's done in your life and the, and the memories that you have of God's work in your life? Um, there are just... There's so many things that God has done that we need to share, but we seem to be afraid to, or we have forgotten them. And so I encourage you to stir up those memories uh, and let God bless you as you bless others. In Jesus' name, God bless you and keep you. and May he make his face shine upon you this week. In Jesus' name, God bless.